uh, teaching the Bible one book at a time, trusting God to lead us. I have to say that the way the Spirit led me in this time of study, I'm not going to do a great job of exposition today, just walking through verse by verse, so you'll have to come back next week and we'll walk through the book of Jonah. But there's just too much stuff here that uh, I felt God was leading us to, and it's all related to Jonah. When it comes to the prophet Jonah, I think there's a, a real risk that those of us who are too familiar with the prophet uh, might be tempted to think that there's nothing in this book that could possibly surprise us. Yet, one of the privilege I, privileges I have uh, of studying the Word every week, and, and I hope you're in the Word every week, and one of the things we realize as we walk with the Lord is that we can read something in Scripture 9,000 times, and then all of a sudden, a new truth jumps out at us. And so I believe there's some surprises in this book for you. One of those surprises might be the fact that this book, Jonah, begins in the original language, probably not in your Bible, but in the original language with the word and. In fact, there are 14 Old Testament books that begin with that little word and. Okay? This might make uh, an ed- a publishing editor a little nervous to think about beginning a new book with that three-letter letter word, and. But I believe there's a very real reason for that. And the reason is, is we need to understand that the Bible is composed of 66 books, yet it tells one great story of God's incredible love and His incredible mercy. So Jonah is just one small part of that incredible story. So just right away, I had application here, and that is whenever you discover an Old Testament book begins with the word and, let it serve to remind you, let it cause your heart to, heart to leap, to realize again that this is just another part of that incredible story of God's great love and God's great mercy. And that's what we find here. Now, another thing as we begin, Jonah, some of you here may be shocked to hear me say that I take the book of Jonah as literal. You don't have to drive very far from here this morning uh, and you'll, to find a church that will present the book of Jonah as being an allegory or, or a parable. And I would challenge those oh-so-smart ones who have the major degrees and yet have somehow been convinced that the Scripture has no authority whatsoever to consider places like 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, where Jonah is presented in the historical record as being a literal person. I challenge you to consider the words of Jesus in places like Matthew 12, 42, Luke eleven thirty two, where Jesus presents him as a literal figure, this prophet Jonah, and then uses Jonah as a picture of Jesus' own death, his burial, and his resurrection. I challenge you to consider the way that this book starts. Just look at verse 1 if, you're, if you found Jonah, because I know he's in the lost part of your scriptures. And uh, just look there. It says, the word of the Lord. If this is a real revelation. Came to Jonah, a very real man. Son of Amittai, another very real man. Go to the great city of Nineveh, a very real place, and preach against it. That is historical fact. 
The book of Jonah, the events of Jonah, there's a little bit of question as to when it was actually written, but the events took place somewhere between 793 and 753 B.C. The prophets we've already studied, Hosea and Amos, were Jonah's contemporaries. Jeroboam II was king of the northern kingdom of this time, and if you remember from my teaching as we've gone along, this was a time of incredible prosperity for the nation of Israel. But all three of these prophets are sent to this prosperous people to call them to return to the very God who prospered them. And it is a tragedy that as nations prosper, they often forget how they got there. And this is a call to return. If we were to take a survey of a crowd of people and ask them what they thought the book of Jonah is about... Uh, a number of them would probably say that it's about a great fish, <laughs> and that great fish is mentioned four times. I'll tell you what I believe, and what I believe is right about that great fish, but that's not this week, unless God leads otherwise. Someone else might say that it's a story about a great city, and that great city is mentioned in this, in this book nine times. Someone else might say that it's a story of a disobedient prophet, and that disobedient prophet made the record some uh, 18 times. But the reality is, is that this is a story about God, and in these four short chapters of this prophecy, God is mentioned 38 times. If you were to remove God from the story, the story would make absolutely no sense. It's, it's the story, and I almost hate to use the word story because of what we do with it. It's historical fact about the will of God and how we should respond to the will of God. It's a historical fact about the love of God and how when we experience that love, we're to share it with others. But maybe most important to you this morning is that this is the story of the God of second chances. And is anybody glad for that this morning? Huh? Yeah. And not just second chances, but uh, just put infinity on the end of that. Yeah. So in my efforts to determine a key verse for Jonah, my eyes first landed on a verse that has a, a slight bit of irony to it. It's a verse that appears... Uh, throughout the scriptures several times. But the interesting thing about this verse is that Jonah is using it as a protest against God. All right, now look at Jonah's protest. This is Jonah chapter 4, so you've got to jump to the end there. Chapter 4, verse 2, look at what God is angry, or what Jonah is angry with God concerning. Speaking to God, <laughs> Jonah says this, I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, does that sound like something to be angry with God over? Huh? You're not sure? Look at it again. See? He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. It's not something to be angry with God over unless God is extending that same kindness to a certain people group that you don't care for very well, and therefore you don't want them to experience God's love and his kindness. And that's what's happening in this book right here. Jonah is enraged at the possibility of God extending forgiveness to these horrible Ninevites. And that's what's going on here. And that's why I've entitled today's teaching, The, tr 
the truth about our prejudices, okay? Something that we need to consider as we look at the beginning of this book because Jonah sent, or God sent Jonah to a people group that Jonah didn't care for, Assyrians, people of Nineveh, unclean people, people who had on several occasions attacked Jonah's own people, taking some of them as captives, destroying their buildings, destroying their cities, taking people away as, as slaves. So Jonah protests. But now I want you to see God's response to Jonah. And uh, I want you to see um, what I chose as being the key verse. I see some of you doing this number. I'm wondering if we need to take the ice pack off the thermos over there, the thermostat. All right. Uh, Tom, would you do that for me? And if somebody's cold, uh, I win on this one. All right. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. God says to Jonah in response, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. So they can't distinguish right from wrong. They don't know good from evil. And because of that, they're living hopeless, futile lives. He says, and many cattle as well. This is God's response. So for all you animal lovers, I want you to see right here in Jonah that God cares for them as well. Okay, 120,000 people, uh, not to mention the cattle. And then God concludes this verse by saying, should I not be concerned about that great city? That's the heart of God. That's the God that we know. He cares and is concerned about those who don't know him. And if God is concerned about people who don't know him, shouldn't we as the body of Christ be concerned about people who don't know him? Shouldn't Jonah be concerned about a people who don't know him? If God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, holding back from sending his judgments, shouldn't we be in that same place? And rather than writing people off that we might deem to be hopeless, shouldn't we be on our knees interceding for them, asking God to reveal himself to them and having mercy upon those very people? If Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, this is uh, Luke 6, 27, to pray for those, to bless those who curse us, uh, pray for those who mistreat us, might he be calling us to be just as concerned about our enemies and eternal well-being as we hope God is concerned about ours? This is what the book of Jonah is about. Praise be to God. He's concerned about those who don't know him, and therefore they don't do the right things. They don't know they're right from the left. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. And, and are we concerned as well? Are we experiencing the very heart of God? And the tragedy is that right now at this very moment, I assure you that there are those who in the name of religion are gloating over their position in Christ and their number one wish is that Jesus would just come and destroy all the rest of them. And that isn't the heart of God. That isn't to be the heart of the church. God's heart, I love it, is expressed in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Very well, listen to this. It's talking about his judgment when it starts off. In fact, why don't you read this verse with me? It starts off talking about God sending judgment. Okay, it's a promise. It's going to come. But I want you to focus in on the second part of the verse. Let's read that together. The Lord is not slow, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So as we think of this idea of the, the truth about our prejudices, the application here, I simply wrote down Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. Look at this verse. Jesus tells his followers, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to, what's those last three words? All nations, yes, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So through the blood of Jesus, pardon, God's favor, the opportunity and hope and an eternal existence where the God who loves him is made available to all people regardless of their race, regardless of how heathen we may deem them, and, and that is the very heart of God. So the application, second application in this is, is there someone whom the thought of God pardoning them would enrage you. They may be the very people God is calling you to reach. And you would protest and say, no way, God, because I know they just might find your favor. And so as I think about this, uh, I think about Al-Qaeda. Would it enrage you at the thought of Al-Qaeda coming to faith? That's not the heart of God. You'd be in line with Jonah, but you wouldn't be understanding the message of the book of Jonah. I can't help but to think about uh, the son of Sam, David Berkowitz. I love to read about the chaplain there in New York who, who was this uh, ser massive serial killer. And today, he's leading people to, to, to Christ in prison. They, they've offered to talk about negotiations of, of setting him free. He doesn't want that because they'd be stripping him of his very ministry. It might upset people, but it's a picture of the heart of God. Think about Jim Elliott and uh, his four friends who were called by God to go to a remote part of Ecuador uh, to reach a certain people group, the Aka Indians. And three days into their journey, they were killed by the very people that God had called them to reach. The result was leaving five widows, nine fatherless children. But Elliot's, it's, Elliot's wife, Elizabeth, she didn't hate these people. It became all the more cause for her to love those people. And following God's lead, she went back there. And somehow the people had been touched by a picture they found of Jim Elliot's family on the dash of that airplane. And they were feeling remorse. So when she comes in and preaches Christ to them, the whole village is led to Jesus. And we can get angry about what happened, but we're not understanding the book of Jonah, and we're not understanding the heart of God. Saul, on a mission to destroy the early church, on a mission to destroy believers, on one of his campaigns, met Jesus and was transformed. Some in the church protested. Do you know what this man is? Do you know what he's capable of? But they didn't understand the heart of God. They didn't understand what the book of Jonah is about. Are you surprised? But when some unlikely person comes to faith, are you skeptical? Does it upset you when you see new believers responding to things the way they are? You may be just in that same compartment as jo Jonah, narrow in your thinking, and you don't have the kind of embrace that God wants you to experience. God, forgive us. We are so quick to judge. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So I'm thinking about this stuff, and this is where I had to end 
on my teaching because I felt led to call us to repentance today. You did nothing to deserve your position in Christ. And the moment you judge someone for their actions or for their appearance, you've forgotten what your salvation is all about. You've forgotten where you've come from. And we cannot forget where we've come from. Somehow it's in us to think that if we can gain a posture in our life, that somehow that positions us to be, you know, kind of making the curve, and therefore we're in while other people are out. But what we need to see is that's the sin of Satan who said to God, I I will ascend your stars. Push God down, build myself up. Tempted Eve. And he said to Eve, you know, God knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll be like God, able to discern what is good and what is evil. Push God down, build yourself up. It's in our nature. It's somehow rooted in us that I'm in. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you people. Why don't you get it? And right there, we've forgotten the very heart of God. You need to know that you're significant. You're created with significance. But that significance isn't rooted in some action you're going to take. It's not rooted in some posture that you might get over another person. You're significant because God values you. You're significant because God created you on purpose and for a purpose. You're significant because God would pay the ultimate price for you, even given his only son. I'm blown away by what people will will pay for collectible items. Who would pay $2.8 million dollars for a baseball card, huh? And, and, and the baseball card that sold for $2.8 million isn't even a Topps baseball card. It was a baseball card that was sold in tobacco, and it's about this big. A Honus Wagner baseball card, $2.8 million. That card can't do anything to add to its value. It can't do anything to take away from its value. It's valuable because someone values that card. And you're valuable because God says, I love you this much. I love you so much that I will pay the ultimate price for you. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that he gave his only son. And he did that for you. He did it for you. It's the heart of God. It's understanding the heart of God. What led me to this, uh, this place in Jonah was I was listening to a discussion. Um, it's been two months ago. I'm thinking about Jonah. And I hear this discussion about people who eat organic food. And uh, I, I have nothing against organic food. I appreciate the whole idea of it. You know, I, I'd like chemical-free food. It sounds kind of good, you know, uh, the, the whole idea of that. But there was a message in this discussion that was specifically for me because as it went, the discussion said that, that according to a certain study, people who eat organic food tend to think they're superior to other people. It's where we shop, huh? It's what we buy. It's what we know. It's our knowledge because, you know, Gnosticism, knowledge gives superiority. 
we eat organic food, what's wrong with the rest of you people? Huh? And, and I'm hearing this conversation, all of a sudden I'm convicted because what I realize is that as a young man in Christ in all my zeal, that was my attitude. I get this Jesus thing. What's wrong with the rest of you people? I'm in. You're out. Jonah, a Hebrew, sent to an unclean Assyrian. This is what I'd like us to repent about today. People need the Lord. People need the good news. And no one is beyond God's reach. If God can save me, there's no one outside of his reach. Would you just agree with me in prayer? Father God, thank you for your great love for me. In fact, thank you for your great love for the world. Thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God, I realize today that I have a tendency to like position, to be better than average. And yet that's not your heart. In your heart, regardless of how we're different, we're all, we're all equal to you. We have equal value. So God, today I want to turn from somehow writing people off or refusing to love certain people that you gave your son for. And God, today, I turn to you and I say, make me like you. Give me, my, give me your heart. And if you want me to go to the people of Nineveh, those dirty Assyrians, if you, if you want me to reach out to those people that annoy me, then I'll go, Lord. I just need to know it's of you. Give me your heart. I turn from having to hold on, and I turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd just like you to take a moment and consider these things with you in the Holy Spirit, and uh, we'll continue to worship in just a moment. It's going to be quiet. Just consider what God wants you to know and what he wants you to do.